Welcome back to the Thinking Theologically podcast, the show where we teach you how and why to think theologically. I'm Jack, joined by our resident theologian in training, Spencer Shaw. Spencer, how are you? I'm I'm doing good. I'm glad to be back recording finally after COVID and holidays and personal health issues and you name it. I feel like it came up over the past two months. Yeah, we just it just kind of snowballed. I said the I made the comment about we'll be back, you know, two weeks from now unless such and such happens, and then it happened. And then my my wife got it, and then time to travel, and then you're sick. I'm like, well, this is I should just not say anything. I should just be quiet. That would make this podcast Hopefully. really boring. But <laughs> maybe I should stop Hope. talking. Hopefully we've gotten through all that and can get back to a, a schedule of uh, recording the uh, podcast again. Hopefully that's the plan. You've got stuff you want so, to talk about. So I've I've got tons of stuff I could I want to talk about, but and it looks like we have we'll people see. that want to listen. Thank you everybody, by the way, for tuning in. Uh, we've we've uh, over the last several episodes. I think every time we go look, it's like uh, it's a hundred plus on all the episodes that we put out. So, yeah, we've been growing a little bit. I think every episode so far, which is good. Uh, like you said, we're thankful for all of you that are listening, and we're now. You may know this because of the way that you're listening, but you know we're now on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and Google Podcasts. Anywhere that you can get your podcast, we're there now. So, whatever listening site works best for you you can find us there yeah and we are we are thankful that you want to listen to us uh and with so many listening uh we'll give our our normal reminder here of uh if you have any topics you would like for us to to discuss and break down maybe we can do like a, a listener episode uh one of these days if we have enough of these questions uh, and go over your your various thoughts, uh, topics, questions to cover. You can send those to strongchurchministries at gmail dot com, uh, and we'll we'll see that. Check those things out, and uh, maybe talk about those things on a podcast. But yeah, please share this and our other episodes. You can find those at strongchurch.org or again anywhere that you get your normal podcasts from, and uh, share those around. Invite other people to join us uh, for these for these discussions here. Uh, today, if, if you recall the last two episodes, we, we were messing around with politics because, you know, why not? Uh, it, tis, it was the season to talk about politics. Uh, hopefully we're done with that for a little while now. Um, you know, we are recording on Inauguration Day. That's true. Uh, that's true. So don't don't talk about it if you don't talk about it. <laughs> we're, we're not talking about politics, but it's, it's still here. It's still... In the air, we can't get away from it. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But instead of dwelling on that, we're going to talk about a subject that we meant to record during time of being sick and just didn't have the opportunity to do so. We're going to look at a Christmas song, specifically Hallelujah, which is a... Why is it a Christmas song? Uh, You know, I've never been able to figure that out. It's my favorite Christmas song. So I'm not one of those uh, Christmas people that like has to listen to Christmas music. You know, I I know people that are just in love with it and can't wait to 
be able to start listening to right. Christmas type songs, right? Uh, that that's not me. I, I don't not like them, but I'm also not you know like head over heels in love with them. But Hallelujah is my favorite Christmas song, uh, particularly the pentatonic version of it. With everything that they do, all their acapella stuff's great, anyways. But yep. uh, love their version of the song. But you make a good point when you actually look at the lyrics, which we're gonna do uh, here in a couple minutes. But it's like. Why is this a Christmas song? It's really not a happy song uh, or joyful song like you would think around Christmas. And it really has nothing to do with anything people generally associate with Christmas. That's a good question, actually. Yeah, so with with it not really being a, a Christmas song, but we wanted to talk about it around Christmas, why do you want to talk about this song? Yeah, well, you know, what? what's interesting is, uh, for those of you that have heard the song, it's it's a song about the, the life of King David, uh, particularly about David's relationship with uh, Bathsheba, and it, but what it does is it shows the, really the negative side of David's life, which is why it's kind of weird that it's a Christmas song because it, it does show the negative side of, of David's life. And I think in doing so, it's a helpful starting point for us to look at that aspect of David's life. Because typically when we think of David, you know, we think of the boy who slayed Goliath, right? We think about the man after God's own heart. We think about his mighty men, his wins in battle, that, that that's typically what comes to our mind. We have these positive stories of David that come to our minds, the, the high points in his life, and that's generally because those are the stories we talk about in Sunday school, right? The stories of David that we learned as a, as a kid for good reason, but uh, David's entire life isn't like that. I would actually argue that the majority of David's life is not those positive stories, uh, but are actually the a lot of negative stories. And I think the lyrics of this song help us to look at that side of David's life, which is important because as we grow in our faith, as we grow as Bible students in our biblical maturity, uh, we have to allow ourselves to be honest with the stories we find in the Bible, honest with the whatever text it is that we're uh, looking at. And when we do that, what we'll find is that we may not actually always like all of the biblical characters. I think we feel like if there's a character in the Bible, we have to like them because they're in the Bible. But right. when we're honest with the stories and look at not just the positives, but also the negatives, we're not always going to like what we see. We're not always going to like every character. It's kind of like in any movie or TV show that you uh, watch, there's certain characters that you like, there's certain characters that you don't like, and it's not necessarily that you don't like them because they're a bad character, but sometimes they're perfectly good characters. It's like, you know, I just don't like that character for whatever reason, but someone else probably really loves them. You know, that's the way it works in movies, TV shows, books, whatever it may be. And the same is true with scripture. It's not necessarily right. It's not uh, wrong. It's just the result of honestly reading everything that takes place in the story, which is so 
important because, like I said, I think sometimes we feel like we have to like everything. We have to like every character, and that's not true. Uh, one example that I think of is a while back, I was teaching through the uh, story of, of Ruth, and if you uh, remember towards the end of Ruth's story, there's this weird scene uh, with Ruth and Boaz on the threshing floor that's gotten a lot of debate about what actually happened there between them. Uh, sure. Was it an innocent encounter? Was it a sexual encounter? What what happened? And when I taught that, I started off and I said, we want to immediately jump and say nothing bad happened here because we like Ruth, right? We want Ruth to be uh, this good, upstanding person. We like her. We, we like Boaz. And so we don't even let our minds go there. And I, I challenged our congregation here to leave their minds open to that possibility. Don't just shut yourself off, but be honest with the story, even though you may not like it. And even though that may not be how you, what you want to happen, at least open yourself up to the possibility, right? Cause that's the way real life works. Things don't always work like we would want them to. That's even how movies, TV shows, other books work, right? It doesn't always yeah. play out like we want it to, but we have to leave ourselves open to that. Now, you know, I, I don't think that anything, uh, bad anything wrong happened there personally between uh, Ruth and Boaz. But my point was simply, we may come to the same conclusion, but we have to even, we have to be willing to open ourselves up uh, to some things that we may not always like. And when we do that, it kind of, I think one reason we don't want to do that is because it kind of destroys the naivety of our childhood readings and tellings of the story, right? Like when we grew up, when we grow up, we hear all the good stories about David, but not all the, the bad. So sometimes it's hard for us to be honest with the life of David because right. it's not always good. But when you actually read the biblical stories, particularly the Old Testament, most of those stories really aren't for children. You know, it's kind of, I've heard people joke, why do we tell our children all these Old Testament stories? Because they're all terrible. They're all horrible. They're dirty. They're awful. They don't have these smooth edges. They're all really rough. And so we kind of have to smooth them out when we tell them to children because we can't tell them the way that they actually show up, right? Because it's not age appropriate. But then as we grow, we kind of have to grow past that and be able to see those rough edges and deal with them, even though it makes us uncomfortable and we don't like that. And we see that in the story of David, uh, particularly in the telling in First and Second Samuel. It's kind of interesting. In Chronicles, David is more presented like, we see him when we were growing up as children in Bible school, right? He's uh, uh, presented in more of a positive light. But it's interesting in First and Second Samuel, he's presented in much more of a negative light. Those books show the negative and the bad things that happen in his life much more. And we'll come back to that at the, the end and kind of explain why that is. But I, like I said, I think the lyrics of this song... This was going, we were going to do this around the holidays when we're hearing this song anyways, so I'm hoping it still kind of sticks, but I think it kind of helps us to see that part of David's life. Well, okay. Uh, very good explanation as to why we're, we're talking about this song in particular. Uh, whether or not it ought to be a Christmas song is uh, <laughs> something, something uh, you can send us in an email, by the way. Yeah, let us uh, know what you think. It, Don't let me take Christmas. it away from you, Spencer. If you like listen to this on repeat, 
I love this song. During December. That's you, man. Go Do your thing. I listen to it outside of December. It's the only Christmas song that I'll... Christmas air quotes. I don't think it's really a Christmas song, but... We'll, <laughs> it's, it's not. We'll I was going to say Christmas adjacent. Point. I'm not even sure that it's Christmas. It's just... I don't know why. It's just a nice, happy-sounding song, I guess, until you get into the lyrics, and then it's just... I don't know. I mean, it, it, it belongs more in, like, a, a sad song playlist, not a Christmas playlist or album. Yeah. <laughs> well, do we do we want to go through the lyrics of this song here, or do we want to kind of jump in uh, to uh, breaking down what the text says about David, or how, how do you think we ought to approach this today? Yeah, let, let's, uh, uh, we'll, we'll go ahead and kind of just uh, jump right into the, the lyrics of the song, kind of help to, to set the stage of some of the things that we want to do uh, and say about the story of, of David. So if you uh, want to, you can go ahead and jump in, read the, the lyrics of the, the song for us. Okay. Uh, we've got four verses. My understanding is there's multiple versions of the song too. Yes, I know, I know there that are. there's that by different people, but I mean like uh, more or less verses. It's like just as I am or something like that for us. Uh, here, here are the lyrics to the song that we have here. I've heard there was a secret chord that David played and please and it pleased the Lord, but you don't really care for music, do you? Well, it goes like this, the fourth, the fifth, the minor fall, the major lift, the baffled king composing hallelujah. And the chorus is hallelujah four times uh, in between each of these, these verses here. Well, your faith was strong, but you needed proof. You saw her bathing on the roof. Her beauty in the moonlight overthrew you. She tied you to the kitchen chair. She broke your throne and she cut your hair. And from your lips, she drew the hallelujah. Verse three. Oh, baby, I've been here before. I've seen this room and I've walked this floor. I used to live alone before I knew you. I've seen your flag on the marble arch and love is not a victory march. It's a cold and it's a broken hallelujah. Verse four. Well, maybe there's a God above, but all I've ever learned from love was how to shoot somebody who outdrew you. And it's not a cry that you hear at night. It's not somebody who has seen the light. It's a cold and it's a broken hallelujah. Then the song uh, trails off with the, the hallelujah. Sorry if you enjoy that song. And you're like, wow, I hate Jack reading this song. Well, and as, <laughs> Sorry as, as if we I've continue, the song for you. I'm about to ruin the song for you, probably. Uh, Perfect. Great. Cause, <laughs> so, it, you know, because what's interesting is, like I said, we're telling the story of David, right, in the song, particularly his that relationship with Bathsheba, right? All, right. all of that that happened. But particularly the last line of every verse, uh, think about what it says about the life of David. You know, because we, we, like I said, when we think of David, we think of the positives typically. And when we see a song like this with the word hallelujah, we think positive, right? Because you yeah. exclaim hallelujah when you're excited, when you're happy. You know, it's it's not a, a word that we typically associate with an, some kind of negative connotation, right? But you've got the end of the first line says the baffled king composing hallelujah. You know, that's not a really positive hallelujah, right? And then yeah. uh, at the end of the second line, it, in talking about Bathsheba, 
she tied you to the kitchen chair. She broke your throne and she cut your hair, which is kind of interesting because we're now mixing David with Solomon, but uh, uh, not Solomon. Uh, Samson. David with Samson. Yeah. Uh, which is interesting. But so you have that, but then, and from your lips drew the hallelujah, right? David's a baffled king composing hallelujah. He's a, a king whose uh, throne has been broken, which draws from his lips hallelujah. And then you get into the last two verses, which again, depending on who's recording it, but this is one of the reasons that I like the pentatonic version, is in the last two versions, you have the switch from a male vocalist to a female vocalist. And so you have the switch, which I think we see there in the lyrics from David, maybe perhaps speaking, to Bathsheba speaking in the second half of the the song. And so when you have that change, uh, you kind of, because we have what seems like uh, this woman talking about the love that exists between her and David, but it's described as a cold and a broken hallelujah. Right. And so we're, we're presenting the, the life of, of David in a very negative sense, which like I said, is what happens in first and second Samuel. It's, it's kind of interesting when you look at the whole of the life of David, right? David's life, uh, begins with difficulty, right? We think about David constantly running from Saul after he's, if you remember David's anointed king, Saul's still king. And so David spends, you know, the first part of his life running from Saul, who's trying to kill him because Saul wants to remain king. And then finally, Saul dies. David rises up to power. But at the beginning, David can't take full control of the kingdom. David is anointed king over Israel, but Ishbosheth, who's a son of Saul, is anointed king over Judah with the help of Abner, who is the commander of Saul's army. And so you have David has been accepted king over like half the people, over Israel, right? But Judah still accepts the line of Saul. They're following Saul's son. They're following Saul's commander. And so you have this conflict between within the people over who's the rightful king. Is it the son of Saul? Is it David? So once David actually finally rises to king, it's not over the entire people. Uh, you've got this problem with David rising to, to power, and eventually he does. Uh, even though you kind of see hints throughout David's story that not all the people are ready to accept him as their king, uh, but eventually he does become king of the entire people of all of, of Israel. Um, but in order to do that, it's kind of interesting. David has one of son's daughters. This is early on in in the story of his life in Second Samuel. Uh, he has one of Saul's daughters taken from her husband and brought to him so that he can marry her. And it seems that the reason for that is to try to unite the kingdom. Because if you think about it, if you're king over half the kingdom and the son of Saul is king over the other half of the kingdom, how do you bring a kingdom together that half of them are devoted to you, half of them are devoted to someone else? Well, you... Marry the daughter of the other person, right? And so you kind of join the families together. 
to try to bring the people together. Sure. Um, yeah. It, is that a good thing to do? No. Well, but, no. Just look at <laughs> David's son uh, in the next uh, section. Like father, like son. Yeah. Right? I mean, it just it, Solomon keeps doing the exact same things. Yep. Man. But we know that, that that's what they did. And we see David doing that. But I don't know if, if Solomon ever did this. But what, what one of the when I read that story again, in preparation for this, it just struck me how she's already married. And when you read the story, she's taken away from her husband and her husband chases after her and is in essence told, no, you need to go back home and we're going to kill you. David's going to marry her because he wants to unify his kingdom. And it's like, I, I, I was just thinking the whole time, really, David? Like that that's, that's the best thing that you can do. We're actually going through with this. But that's how David's uh, beginnings start. He's running from Saul. He rises as king, but only over half the kingdom. He has to take away Saul's daughter from her husband to try to unite the kingdom, and eventually it works. But think about how long that lasts. You get to the middle of David's story, and his son, Absalom, decides to plan a coup and overthrow David and become king, right? And now David's running for his life again. Yeah, because this time his son wants to kill him. So he can't he can't control his kingdom. He can't control his family. And and you see that throughout the entire life of David. He can't seem to gain control of his life and over the things he's supposed to have control over. And then you skip to the end of David's story, which actually shows up in the first two chapters of First Kings. Yeah. And uh, you have David on his deathbed. Uh, pitifully cold, impotent, muddled, and manipulated, as one author described it. It's, again, not a good picture of David. Uh, David is, like you said, he, he's on his deathbed. He's he's cold. He's miserable. And so what do they do? They bring him a woman to please him, and he can't do it. He's He's unable to do that. So you've got all kinds of problems that we could go into if we wanted to with right. that situation. But that's where it starts. And now he's ready to die, and he calls his son, Solomon, uh, to first part anoint him as the next king. But he also tells Solomon to, in essence, go and deal with two men. You have Joab and Shmi. And the, re- the reason, this is just interesting, of... Uh, earlier on in the story, Joab, who's David's commander, uh, avenges, I believe it's his brother's death, uh, by killing Abner, who was Saul's commander, uh, and uh, one of Abner's servants, and w- without telling David. And that makes David angry, that his man went and killed these people without telling him. And then you have this other person, uh, Shami, who curses David uh, around the, the middle part of his story there in, in 2 Samuel. And David holds on to these grudges. And at the end of his life, before he dies, he in essence tells Solomon, you remember what these two people did to me? Make sure that you go and deal with them, which kind of reads like go and kill them is probably what he's saying. He doesn't actually use those words, but right, that seems right. to be what's implied there. And so 
when you look at that story of David, it's just a mess, right? He can't rise to power. He has to marry Saul's daughter. His son tries to overthrow him, and he ends in bed, cold with this woman and holding these grudges against these other guys and telling his son to go and kill them when he rises to power. Um, And so you want to talk about a broken hallelujah. Oh, man. It's like, uh, sorry, (laughs) my my immediate thought was like, this is like like the, the Godfather trilogy. I don't know if you've seen those movies, but the son just rises into power, but he's not, it's, he never wanted it. And so he doesn't know what to do when he's there. And so he kind of overshoots his role and lo- he loses everything, you know, at, at the end of it. Whereas David, there is, even in all of this fumbling around and messing up, there is still some positive to uh, come out of all of it and some positive throughout. But uh, just kind of reminded me of that of uh, wasn't ready for the task and never had control himself and it it cost him a lot uh, and we got we get to see that unfold uh, so <laughs> any any preachers wanting to use the Godfather series as a sermon series there you uh, go you're welcome it's a free one we we just helped you out with that but yeah. you know. You're, you're right, because we can think about some of the high moments in David's life, like we've mentioned. That's typically what comes to our mind. Um, and so, you know, in those moments, you can proclaim a hallelujah. Right. But the life of David is a broken hallelujah. David's a man after God's own heart. He's anointed as king. But over and over again, we see the mess of his life. From the beginning all the way to the end, his life is kind of bookend by brokenness. And so it can be described, as this song does, as a broken hallelujah. But the song in particular, as we see in the the lyrics, emphasizes the biggest broken moment, if you will, in David's life probably, is what happens with David and Bathsheba. And most of us, when we think about negatives in David's life, that's probably what comes to our mind, is David and Bathsheba. And that's what's illustrated by this, by by the lyrics of this song. And so I want to read again the final three verses, because that's really where we see it. It says, well, your faith was strong, but you needed proof. You saw her bathing on the roof. Her beauty in the moonlight overthrew you. She tied you to the kitchen chair, she broke your throne, and she cut your hair, and from your lips she drew the hallelujah. Again, thinking, I'm thinking of the pentatonics version. That part's sung by a male vocalist, and then we shift to a female. And I want us to think about the last two lines, the last two verses, like I said, as coming from the perspective of Bathsheba. It says, Well, baby, I've been here before. I've seen this room and I've walked this floor. I used to live alone before I knew you, and I've seen your flag on the marble arch, and love is not a victory march. It's a cold and it's a broken hallelujah. Well, maybe there's a God above, but all I've ever learned from love was how to shoot somebody who outdrew you. And it's not a cry that you hear at night. It's not somebody who's seen the light. It's a cold and it's a broken hallelujah. 
if you remember the story of David and Bathsheba, at the time of war, when David is the, the king, is supposed to go out to war to lead his army, he decides to stay home and he sends others really to go and die in his place. His yep. commander, his his armies, he sends out, David stays back. David, as he's home, sees Bathsheba bathing on her roof, has her brought over. They have sex together and she gets pregnant. And Bathsheba's married and her husband's out at war when all this is taking place. And so to try to cover up this pregnancy, David has Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, brought back and in essence tries to get him to go sleep with his wife so he thinks that the child's his. Doesn't work. Uriah won't do it. And so as most of us know, he's sent back and David sends Uriah back with a letter to the commander telling them to go out to battle to put Uriah on the front lines, everyone else is going to drop back and allow Uriah to be killed. And so David commits adultery with Bathsheba. He has Uriah killed. He commits murder uh, indirectly, but still does in order to cover up uh, what he has done with Bathsheba. Right. And when we think about that story, there's a lot of things that come to my mind, but there's a couple of things that I'm going to point out. First is that David uses Uriah and Bathsheba as objects. They, they really don't seem to matter a whole lot to David, right? David brings Bathsheba up over to his castle, his house, whatever we want to call it, because he's, he's attracted to her and he makes this mistake and it's just all about David from that point, it seems like. It's right. all about how how can David solve this for himself. He doesn't seem to care much about Bathsheba at that point. He obviously doesn't care much about Uriah because he ends up having him killed to try to hide what he's done. Uh, they're just kind of objects in David's game here to kind of protect himself. But I think we can add to that, how do we think about Bathsheba. Does Bathsheba want to be with David or not? Because when you think about this time period, if if the king wants to be with you, you probably don't have a choice. Right. Even if you wanted to, you you, you can't you don't tell the king no. Because to tell the king no is to sign your own death sentence. You really don't have much of a choice, and I think that's very important when we look at this uh, story, and hopefully at some point down the line, maybe we'll be able to look at this story purely from that standpoint, of looking at it from that angle of how do we understand Bathsheba in light of the fact that maybe, even probably, didn't want to go along with what David did, but you don't have a choice because David's the king, Yeah, David has control. Can I interject something there? Yeah. Um because uh, we, we've still got a little bit to say about David and Bathsheba, but that's kind of like to, to go along with what you're talking about here of 
uh, even these these things about these characters we like that are uncomfortable. We have to be honest with the text, and we've kind of, be, because of our love of David, I say kind of, it's not kind of, uh, because of our love for David and what we want the man after God's own heart to look like, uh, we've you know, had, you know, throughout, okay, well, Bathsheba didn't have to go. No, she, this the king asking her to go. She didn't have a choice. Well, what was she doing bathing on the roof? She was doing what all the women were doing at that time and bathing on the roof. They didn't have, like, they didn't have the amenities like we've got them today. Uh, Bathsheba is not, from the scriptural standpoint, in this bad light, but we want her to be bad. We want this to be her fault too, because we love David and we want David to look a certain way. Uh, And so I think that speaks to your initial point here of when we look at certain characters and maybe it's bias from only focusing on the positives uh, from an early age onward. Uh, But when when we look at certain characters, we can, if we're not careful, uh, conform everything else in the text around around our own viewpoints. And this is true of every Bible verse and everything that's written in Scripture. We can conform things to our viewpoints. But we do that with Bathsheba. And I hope, like you've said there, that one day we go to this text and we just look at this as, no, we should look at it very selfishly as David's text and everything that he blew right here. He just messed it all up. Uh, it's not Bathsheba's fault whatsoever. Right, because if, if, if we can put a little blame on Bathsheba, then uh, we can vindicate David a little bit for what he, he did, which is wrong for us to do for so many reasons. And one of those is that the, the text, I don't think, allows us to do that. because. But we, we also, I want to say this in a little bit of, of application just at this point, we still do this with people and circumstances today. I mean, I, I can't, yeah. I, what, what comes to my mind is women today who still find themselves uh, having been abused in ways just like what David did with Bathsheba, right? Women who have been uh, molested or <clears throat> raped or something of that nature. And people want to try to blame the the woman for what the man did. Right. Well, why was she here? Why was she doing this? Why was she dressed in this way? Did she uh, lead him on? Yada, yada, yada. And my response to that is the same to my story when we look at the story of David, is none of that matters. That that doesn't vindicate the guy for what he did. That doesn't give him an excuse for doing what he did. It's not, it's, it's never the victim's fault for being victimized. It's always the uh, one who did it, right? It, right. It's who's who's guilty, and that's the same true here. And like I said, we can have debates about how much uh, Bathsheba participated in what happened, but when it comes down to it, it's it's David. David's the one who started it all. David's the one who made the choice. David's the one who's in the wrong, not Bathsheba. David's the the king. Bathsheba didn't have a a choice. And so as Christians, I believe, we we can't be people who we've got to be honest with this story just like we have to be honest with things that happen in our day and not blame the victim for being 
victimized, right? But, uh, blame the perpetrator for actually doing it. And I think David's the story of David Bathsheba is a, a great uh, illustration of our tendency sometimes to want to to do that. And uh, that's that. That's I don't think that's life we see in emulated in the life of Jesus in the way that he dealt with people who had been victimized or taken advantage of or yeah. uh, whatever it it may be. Um, yeah, he always cared for the victim. I mean, unlike uh, this final point here about David and Bathsheba, right? Uh, which is something I hadn't considered before. Uh, where is... Uh, yeah, we obviously know Nathan follows here and Nathan will address the situation and uh, David has enough mental faculty to understand when he gets confronted, you know, oh, crap, you're right, that's me, Uh, I did that, Uh, which, quite thankful for, that's the whole man after God's own heart thing, but we'll get to that in a moment, but does David ever console Bathsheba after this whole thing? Do we ever see any of that? Yeah, so you, when you read the story, there's one... A little verse at the end of the story, which which may suggest that David does some kind of consoling, but we, even if it does, we don't see very much of it. the The story of the loss of the child, which is the punishment for David doing all this, that the the, the child that Bathsheba was pregnant with becomes sick and dies. And that story is all about David, all about David's if you David's grief and his fasting and his prayer until the child dies, you know, trying to get yeah. God to change his mind and not take the child's life. Um, and then the the child dies, and David kind of re- returns back to to normal because his point is that it's it, it's over. It's it's done. We we can't change it. We kind of have to to move forward. And there's some lessons that we can learn there. But David takes center stage, and it's like think about think about what that does to Bathsheba. Uh, it's her child too. You know, you could make the argument maybe even more so. I mean, because the child only lived for a a few days, but it lived in Bathsheba for nine months, right? right? And passes away, not because of anything that Bathsheba did, but because of choices that David makes. Bathsheba loses her child, and it's like, well, what What about Bathsheba? She needs some consoling. She needs some love. She needs some, some help because she's dealing with this maybe even more than David would be. And she's just kind of not there in the story. And so it leaves us with some questions of how does David deal and treat Bathsheba after the loss of their child, because he doesn't treat her very well up to that point. So unfortunately, I don't have a lot of hope that he does a very good job afterwards, especially since we have no uh, example of him actually doing that. Uh, Again, that's just kind of conjecture on our part about what happened or what didn't. But like I said, at, at some point, I'd like to return back and talk about just this story. But the point to illustrate here kind of going back to the point that's illustrated in the lyrics is first think about a cold and a broken hallelujah 
in the midst of David's life, in the midst of his story with Bathsheba, but also consider Bathsheba's experience of love in this relationship with David. So knowing that regardless of what Bathsheba wanted to do, she didn't have a choice but to respond positively to King David's advances. She gets pregnant. She loses the child because of decisions that David makes. We don't know if David ever consoles her afterwards. Just think about that experience of love. And I want to go back to the lyrics. At the end of the third verse, again, we've got a female vocalist singing. It says, And love is not a victory march. It's a cold and it's a broken hallelujah. The fourth verse, well, maybe there's a God above, but all I've ever learned from love is how to shoot somebody who outdrew you. And it's not a cry that you hear at night. It's not somebody who's seen the light. It's a cold and it's a broken hallelujah. I don't know about anyone else, but to me, those are some powerful lyrics about Bathsheba's experience of love in her relationship with David. It's not a victory march. All she ever learned was how to shoot somebody who outdrew you. Bathsheba, it seems to me, has to really take care of herself in the midst of all this, right? David's looking out for himself. Who's looking out for Bathsheba? Right. I mean, just think about her experience. And I, that's just those, the way that she experiences love in that relationship is a cold and a broken hallelujah, which for a lot of people is the, unfortunately, unfortunately, that's still today the way some people experience love. It is very much like Bathsheba. It can be described as a cold and a broken hallelujah. Yeah. I'm, yeah. And uh, I think you're, uh, to some degree, uh, when we get into, uh, uh, after the Absalom thing, David puts away these other wives, um, and Peter just remains with Bathsheba alone while taking care of those that were formerly his wives. Um and it's Bathsheba and Nathan in the opening chapters of Kings that are with David in his very broken state. Uh, but even still, we don't have... Even still, all Bathsheba's doing there is saying, Hey, David, you said that you were going to do this. You should probably do that. Uh, there isn't... Th- this is not a great love story. And no. it doesn't ever develop in anything that we see in the text. They just are, unfortunately. And that's uncomfortable. That's not we how don't David's like supposed to be. No. Man after God's own heart. So so why, going back to our first question, why have this? Why, yeah, why, why share with us this broken, here, here's David and here's a major flaw, and why, why have this for us? Why does First and Second Samuel tell the story in this way? Why have this in the Old Testament at all? Why why do this podcast and look at yeah. the 
uh, lyrics of why have the song Hallelujah? I mean, why talk about this? And the reason is, is because the more positive account of David's life, which is found in Chronicles, versus the more negative account of his life, which is found in Samuel, these accounts were written at different times and for different purposes in the life of Israel. And it's the same is true for us. We, we need these two sides of David's life at different times and for different purposes, different situations in our own lives because there are times when we need that heroic figure. Uh, we need the David who's the man's after God's own heart to look up to, uh, to inspire us, uh, to make us desire to be better, right? To, we we, we want to be like David when he conquered Goliath. We, that, that's the David that we want to, to be. Right. Uh, and s- sometimes that in, in points in life, that's what we need. We need that heroic figure. But at other times, we need the real-life figure. We need the, the real-life David, the, the David who's crying out that broken hallelujah so that we can see how God continues to work and to bless even in the midst of our own brokenness and our own mistakes. When when we find ourselves in those moments crying out a broken hallelujah, when we find ourselves in the brokenness of our own lives, dealing with the mistakes uh, in our own lives, and we look back and we see stories like David who made mistakes, who made big mistakes, probably mistakes bigger than the mistakes that we have made. When we see David in that same broken state, but yet God is there with him, a God continues to console him, God continues to to bless him. It, it, it's not that God doesn't also uh, discipline David for stuff that he's done, right? David loses his child. David's unable to build the, the temple. We could go on and on and on. Right. But God doesn't ever leave his side. David's still considered a man after God's own heart. God's still there with him. And that provides that ought to provide us comfort when we find ourselves in the same situations. And so that's why we can't emphasize one over the other because we need both. We normally don't need both at the same time, but throughout our lives we need both of these Davids. Because if we just have one, if we just have the heroic David, the man after God's own heart, David, the the perfect David, that can create in us a feeling of like ineptitude, uh, a feeling of, uh, you know, where we we can't live up. I I can never be a David. I can never be a man or a woman after God's own own heart because I, I can't be as good as David. But if all we have is the destitute David crying out the, the broken hallelujah, uh, we have nothing to inspire us to be better. And so we need right. both. We, we need the inspiration to be better, but we also need the reminder that, yes, we're broken. Yes, this world is broken, but that doesn't mean that God ever leaves us. That's what Israel needed. That's why both of these accounts are in the Old Testament, and that's what we continue to need today is both sides of David's life. Yeah, and and that's to to push away, uh, make excuses for the Bathsheba thing, saying, well, here's, you know, it's her fault, it's her fault in these regards. Uh, to do that or to ignore 
this section is to cheat us out of the great application of this text. Uh, one, the the biblical application that this text is building towards of the one that's going to come through David's line uh, that is the perfect follower of God, uh, the perfect after God's own heart uh, in Jesus. But two, it robs us of the application of this is, while this is an extreme example of not doing what God wants you to do, this is very much true to true to real life for us of we don't always get it right. In fact, we very often will not. And you can still be the person after God's own heart in those conditions. You can still be broken, and that's, that is okay. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's why it's here. We hope that that, uh, man, this is, I'm glad we didn't do this at Christmas. Can I say that? Maybe, maybe we got sick because God wanted us to move this away from Christmas time. I'm I'm glad I ruined everyone's next Christmas. Uh, you'll never listen to that song the same again. Yeah, it's far enough away. (laughs) I will say it's still my favorite Christmas song and, uh, I'm, I, I'm, uh, you know, I've been familiar with this kind of reading of the, the song, so it doesn't have to ruin it. Probably yeah. will. Just remember it, the it doesn't have to. The the biblical conclusion, the ultimate conclusion, the the power and brokenness uh, that'll bring that hopefully that spark that's needed uh, for the for that song to to have a good connection and, and meaning there. So uh, we hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, and I hope that this episode, aside from the tremendous application of this uh, at the end, I hope that this shows kind of from a more uh, meta standpoint that we're, theology is everywhere. Uh, you can you can go to every bit of culture and find discussion to be had about God. We took a song today uh, that was based on uh, some biblical narrative maybe a couple with the the Samson illusion and things like that, but uh, a song related to the biblical narrative and talked about it theologically. So uh, if you have stuff you want us to talk about, culture to be examined in a, a through a theological lens, send those over to us, strongchurchministries at gmail.com. Uh, we'd love to entertain some of those things uh, and think about that. Uh, it should be, I'm going to say it, Spencer, two weeks. We'll, it we'll will be two That's weeks. Plan. Two weeks. It will be. We're going to make it happen. And we look forward Somehow. to uh, thinking theologically with you again then. Uh, I'm Jack. That's Spencer. We'll see you next time. <laughs>